0: Yo, 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 what's good, everybody, what's up, what's up, what's up, welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, IKP, I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kit of the Isaiah Kid Podcast, you guys know we give it up on a Saturday episode, Saturday episode, I record these on Fridays, so I hope you guys will enjoy this on Saturday, and also, so first, two things, Father's Day weekend. Hope you got, I hope all, hope all the fathers out there have a good weekend. Um, Depending on how these series may end, you know, with the playoffs, Mike Budenhoser and Doc Rivers, you know, their Father's Day weekend may not be good, but, you know, happy Father's Day weekend to everybody out there uh, or, or, or the, all the fathers out there. I uh, hope you guys have a satisfied weekend. But then um, next week, I'm going to have a very, very, very special guest coming on to the pod. To talk about the NBA landscape as far as uh, possible, coaching destinations where where some coaches may land, so that should be pretty interesting. That should be pretty pretty interesting. So obviously, we're gonna get into NBA playoffs, NBA playoff talk. I've been talking about it, to, you know, you know, NBA playoffs. That's the cent. That's the center of the topic, right, uh, of, the, of the sports world right now. So, and I, I don't even want to hold you guys long today. Um, I'm not going to cuz uh, you know I'm going to save some of my ammunition for next week but <clears throat> let's start with Brooklyn and Milwaukee Brooklyn and Milwaukee game 6 the Bucks the obviously won game 6 104 to 89 um pretty convincing fashion and I kind of figured that Milwaukee would win the home game you know the home the home team has won Many uh, they've the home team has won every game in this series, every game. So no road team has won a game quite yet. So we're we're now at a game seven. Game seven is going to take place on on Saturday. So this is what I think. Game six, my takeaways was, I thought Brooklyn, Brooklyn is obvious that Brooklyn rotation is short. The Brooklyn rotation, the like it is it, it they're playing literally like six dudes Brooklyn Brooklyn is literally playing like six maybe even seven dudes off their bench and you could tell they were tired the the Nets were tired and I'm not saying it's not an excuse or no but they were tired simple as that I think with Milwaukee I think Brooklyn still gonna win this series I think Brooklyn is still gonna win this series even though Milwaukee you know you look at Milwaukee and given all of the circumstances, as far as like health and you know who's out, who's not playing, and so forth, you you, you would you would probably favor Milwaukee, and that's probably the smart thing. But I just think with Milwaukee, with Milwaukee, first the 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 problem that I saw with the Nets was oh with two things or a couple things. Milwaukee defensively changed their their looks on KD. Um, for the first, I mean, for the first like five games of the series, the Milwaukee Bucks were playing that drop coverage. So when anytime Brooklyn would run their pick and roll, especially with Durant as the ball handler, um, they would attack Brooke Lopez. And usually with the Bucks defense, they play drop coverage. They play drop coverage. And anytime a pick and roll occurs, um, Brook Lopez with that drop coverage scheme, he plays, he doesn't even try to contest. He plays the rim, so he doesn't. He doesn't even contest the mid-range jump shot because statistically, analytically, analytics show that the mid-range, quote unquote, that the mid-range shot is the worst shot in basketball. But for Kevin Durant, that's his sweet spot. That's that's his zone right there. So Brooklyn and Kevin Durant were was exploiting that defensive scheme as far as Milwaukee playing drop coverage. Instead, Game Six. Milwaukee looked like they changed it up a little bit. They gave Durant some different looks. They even blitzed him a couple times. Um, they doubled him a couple times. You know, Milwaukee was just was just giving Durant some different looks. I think I think Brooklyn will come back and adjust to those type of looks um, that Milwaukee were throwing at them. Uh, the the role players of Brooklyn just, just haven't been able to shoot the ball well at Milwaukee. At home, I think there's a a little bit of a better chance that they shoot the ball better at home, but Joe Harris, boy, oh boy, and I like Joe Harris, I I rave about Joe Harris because I like his improvement, but Joe Harris, boy, oh boy, he hasn't been able to hit a shot in this series. A lot of those shots have been just like halfway in, but they rim out, so like I've been seeing a couple of those, uh, like a few of those with Joe Harris shots in these games, but he wasn't making shots yesterday or yes yesterday cuz today is friday but he wasn't making shots but then on the defensive side of the basketball he had chris middleton basically head hunting and shout out to my guy no layups um with the analysis like he had chris middleton like chris middleton was head hunting joe harris on on defense like finding joe harris and just basically picking him to pieces. And that's a problem because Joe Harris, I like I said I like Joe Harris. I think he's I think he's going to be one of those guys like I like I said before game 5, I thought either Jeff Green or Joe Harris would have to have a really big game. So it, it, I think with Joe Harris, him not hitting shots on offense and then him getting exploited on defense, that that's a whole different problem. But I also think the importance with going into this game seven with the Brooklyn Nets is this. And I think their role players will play better because they're at home. They're in the comfortability of their own home and so forth. They're fans, you know. So I I do think the role players of the Nets, like the Jeff Greens, the Blake Griffins, the Joe Harris, the Landry Shamits, I think they'll play better. I think they'll play better. And I think they'll shoot the ball a little bit better. With Joe Harris, Joe Harris, I don't think we talk about it nearly enough, but he is so important to what the Nets try to do offensively. Because when he's hitting shots, like when Joe Harris is hitting shots in statistically, you look at his you look at his percentages in the regular season, he's a really good three-point shooter. When he's hitting shots, the Brooklyn Nets offense is is as difficult and as efficient to stop. Like it's very, very hard to stop because when that ball is flowing, and Joe Harris is hitting shots, that that opens up the floor even more for their stars. Now, granted, Durant obviously is going to be. I think in a game seven, Durant is going to be Durant. Um, with Harden in game six, he he was moving a he was moving a lot better. Still wasn't. A hundred percent or even close to hundred percent, but he like in game five, you could see, you could see a dramatic improvement from game five to game six. So, you know, you would think game six to game seven, there would be another improvement, another step that Harden would take as far as like his mobility, so I think Harden, you're going to get a better version of Harden in Game 6 than what you did in Game – you're going to get a better version of Game of Harden in Game 7 than what you did in Game 6, um, just like it happened in Game 5. So I, I, I think the Brooklyn – I'm still going to roll with the Brooklyn Nets to win this Game 7. Um, but I, I do think with Giannis in all of the chips basically in Milwaukee's favor – this is a this is kind of a must win. Like I don't care what nobody's this is kind of a this is a must win for Giannis, I feel like. Um, because you have all everything is in your favor. You have, I mean, the big three, the Nets big three, is it's kind of like one and a half. You know, they have Durant and then like Harden kinda. But Milwaukee has the size advantage. Milwaukee has the more experienced coach. Um, I'm not quite sure. I'm not in love with Budenhoser and, and the job that he's done in this series. But Budenhoser, and I'm going to talk about, like, these coaches. But I just think um, every, like, a lot of the, like, Milwaukee should be favored to win this game. And Milwaukee, you know, you look, this the all the ball is in their court. The ball is in their favor. Like, they they should win this game. Um, <clears throat> they should win this game, but I think, but I, I, like I said, I do think Brooklyn's gonna win. Um, I'm gonna take Durant, I think Durant's gonna have a pretty good game, and I'm gonna bank on Harden being a little bit better than what he was in game six as far as his mobility and one of those role players or a couple role players being able to shoot the ball a little bit better than what they have been shooting, um, you know, just like in Milwaukee. So, I'm going to take Brooklyn to win this series. Uh, and let's be all, let's all be honest. Brooklyn would have been won this series. If you can give me a healthy James Harden and a healthy Kevin Durant, and they still would have won this series. You can give me a healthy Kyrie Irving and a healthy Kevin Durant. Brooklyn would have won this series. They would have been won this series. So like, don't fool yourself. Milwaukee, even if they win this game, they're not better than Brooklyn. Brooklyn would have, this series would have been over if Brooklyn was fully healthy. Simple as that. But let's shift gears. Um, and by the way, we're Isaiah Kid podcast, IKP. Um, so I think this is really interesting. I think this is a really interesting topic, and I want to talk about the coaching within the NBA. Um, because what I've witnessed from the Clippers in Tyron Lou, like Tyron, first the mental toughness of the Clippers. For them, for Paul George, I didn't talk about this much because I—I mean, this is the first time I'm—I've I'm, been—I've been able to talk to you guys since Game Five. But Paul George, um, the performance that he put on in Game Five was absolutely awesome, and I think—and I told you guys, I think the Clippers are going to win this series. I think the Clippers are going to win this series, uh, versus Utah. I—I I, I think I said. They're going to win the next four straight games. I think that's what I – after the two – after the first two losses, I think I said the Clippers uh, – don't be surprised if the Clippers won off four straight. I think that's what – that's exactly what I said. So – and I think, you know, they're – they're you know, they out they obviously play tonight Um, and the Clippers can advance and get to the Western Conference Finals for the first time in franchise history in 50 years. So that is on the line tonight. And I think the Clippers will do it. Now, I do. I, I do think with when I look when I'm looking at a guy and a coach like Tyron Lue, I see a coach that's making the proper adjustments. I see it, and it. And if you don't, if you think otherwise, like I know a lot of people were questioning how, like, really they were legitimately questioning how good of a coach is like Tyron Lue really is. Like, how good is he? And I think. I think, you know, obviously he had LeBron. That's what people like to say. He had LeBron in Cleveland. But I think people say, oh, yeah, LeBron, you know, LeBron can, you know, he's great and all that good stuff. It's not easy to coach LeBron James. It's not hard to manage that ego. It's not, it's not, hard. it's not, I mean, excuse me. It's not easy to handle that ego. It's not easy to, hard, to to manage and coach LeBron. It's not easy. That's what I meant to say. Sorry, excuse me. It's not easy to handle that. So when people say, Oh yeah, LeBron, like it's not easy to coach LeBron. Okay. And that's no slight to LeWorts LeBron, but it's just not easy to coach any type of player of that caliber, of that ilk. So let's just remove that out of our brains as well. But the adjustments, the necessarily the necessary adjustments that I've seen Tavon Lu make in the prior in the previous series, and now we're in this series versus Utah, I like the fact that he's going small. Uh, I think if he continues to go small now, obviously, I think Utah will be better prepared to defend that small ball lineup that the Clippers threw at them in game five. But all the Clippers did, you know, when the Kawhi injury occurred and happened, going into game five, the Clippers didn't change their game plan necessarily. Their game plan was still, we're going to go small, and instead of the offense running through Kawhi, the offense is going to run through Paul George. That's literally what they did in game five. Um, Like I said, I think Utah is going to be better prepared. Quinn Snyder is a – you know, Quinn Snyder is a – I think he's a really good coach. So I think Utah is going to be better prepared, and I think it's going to be an ultimate dogfight for the Clippers to advance to the Western Conference Finals. But I do think they will. I do. I do think they they will find a way to advance to the Western Conference Finals. And like I said, I think – with the small ball element of the clippers and them and their three-point shot being coming coming alive um i i, I think is going to propel them over utah uh, i'm not sure of the status of mike conley whether or not he's going to play i heard some rumblings that he might give it a go but i haven't heard anything um like of certainty yet so we're still on the fence with that i think the clippers i told you guys this after the first two games when i i told you guys i still like the clippers to win this series um and i i, I said that I, I said i wouldn't be surprised that they run off four straight um so and right now they're in the midst of a three-game winning streak in this series so you know they won the last two games so I'm looking. I'm. I'm excited for the Clippers. I'm excited for this game. I think this is going to be one of the biggest games, um, in Clipper history. Obviously, so I can't wait. And and for, and to further my point about coaching, um, and I I gave Ty Lu some props because Ty Lu like, if you're if you're just a steward of the game of basketball, and you're actually looking at the adjustments that Tyron Lue is making. You like if you can't tell that he's not a good coach with the adjustments that he's making, then I don't know what to say. Okay, I just don't know what to say. But, but to further my point about coaching and these coaches within the NBA, how long can you continue to have a reputation of being a top tier coach when you have playoff failure? and playoff blunder after blunder after blunder because I'm I feel like we're getting to this point with Doc Rivers. Now, we all know the 76ers are going into a game 6 versus Atlanta at Atlanta and they're facing an elimination. Now luckily, I think the 76ers are going to win game 6 and they're going to force a game 7. That's what I think. I, that's what I think. So, um yeah, you, you know, even even when Ben Simmons not playing as well, even with Joel Embiid not looking the healthiest, I'm going to roll with Philadelphia because I think Philadelphia realized it's an elimination game. I th- I'm, I'm, I'm expecting a big game from Tobias Harris. He didn't play well in game five. Shot, I think he shot two for 11 from the field, all for 3 from downtown. So I'm expecting him be, to play a little bit better. But – um. With Doc Rivers, a coach like Doc Rivers, even a coach like Rick Carlisle, where like both Doc Rivers and Rick Carlisle have won championships. Doc Rivers won his championship in two thousand eight, obviously with the Celtics. uh Rick Carlisle won his championship in two in twenty eleven, obviously with the Dallas Mavericks. But now Rick Carlisle has gotten he stepped down. He stepped down. That's what they say. But I got word. I got inside word. That Rick Carlisle was fired in a nice way. They 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 put out the press release and said, hey, you know, but he got fired. So I say all this to say, I look at a guy like Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle for over the last 10 years, he had six first round six first round exits, four years where he missed the playoffs. That 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 was Rick Carlisle's resume, the last 10 years. The last decade, six first round exits, four, four, four years we missed the playoffs, and with Doc Rivers, oh my goodness, with Doc Rivers, and I like Doc Rivers, I like Doc Rivers, you know, you guys know I like Doc Rivers, a lot I do, but I I gotta hold people accountable, and we can't continue to say that Doc Rivers is this top-tier elite coach when I see playoff blunder after blunder. Like I said, we can start in 2003, where he lost a 3-1 lead. He was coaching the Orlando Magic, you know, Tracy McGrady and so forth. He lost a 3-1 lead to the, to the, to the Detroit Pistons. 3-1 lead, blew a 3-1 lead to the Pistons. 2009, the Celtics were up 3-2 on the Orlando Magic. He lost the series. He lost two straight games. Um, 2010, he was up 3-2 on the LA Lakers in NBA Finals. Lost two straight games. Oh, 2012, he was up 3-2 to the Miami Heat. Lost two straight games. 2013, he was with the Clippers. He was up 3-2 on the Grizzlies. Lost at home, game seven. Lost two straight games. 2014, blew a 15 point lead in game five versus OKC, and he ended up losing the series in six games. 2015, the miraculous Clippers, the Clippers blew a 3 1 lead to the Rockets. To the Rockets. And mind you, that same year, 2015, that was the year, that was probably the year where people gave the Clippers their best shot to win the NBA to at least get to the NBA finals because remember at that juncture in point we didn't know how good the warriors were so that was the year the warriors won their first championship but, but mind you the warriors didn't have to play the clippers in the western conference finals they played the rockets so we don't know how that series would have played out obviously um but you know i don't want to i don't want to discredit Golden State but if with with those Lob City Clipper teams 2015 felt like the year the Clippers were supposed to get over the hump and ultimately get to the conference finals and get to the NBA finals a lot of people thought that was their year and the Clippers and Doc Rivers blew a 3-1 with 3-1 lead to the Rockets and if I'm not mistaken in one of those games they had a huge lead, and they let the Rockets come back and win one of those games, and James Harden didn't even play. Like, he barely played. Like, Harden barely played during that comeback. So that's 2015. 2016, the Clippers had a 2-0 lead on the Blazers. He lost, Doc Rivers lost four straight games. 2017, they lost a, They lost he lost a game seven to the Jazz at home. 2020, obviously, the Denver Nuggets he let the Denver Nuggets he blew another 3-1 lead and now we're right here with the Philadelphia 76ers where in game 5 he blew an 8 in game 5 he blew a in game 5 in game 4 he blew an 18-point lead in game 5 he blew a 22-point lead a 26-point lead so we don't know that the you know we don't know who's going to win this series but I do think Philly will force a game seven. But it just—I beg to, i beg to ask the question: How long can we continue to, you know, have like we continue to have this reputation of coaches and label coaches as top tier coaches when, when just like when the results aren't there, just straight up. How long can we continue to call that that coach a top tier coach? That's all I'm asking. That's all I'm asking. And I and and, and I think um, I, I I'm not saying like this 76ers mess. This this 76ers problem was here before Doc Rivers got here. Um and 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 they, yes, they're in route. It looks like you know they got a really they got a good chance to get to the conference finals. It's a game seven, so anything can happen. I don't and I don't want to and I don't want to discredit Atlanta because Atlanta is playing their tails off and Trey Young is having a phenomenal series and at times he look he's looked like the best player on the floor for both teams period Trey Young looks like he's been the best player on both on the floor for both teams period point blank period That's how good Trey Young has looked in this series and Atlanta Hawks they they're nothing to slouch at but the Philadelphia 76ers just have so many high aspirations, especially being the number one seed. And then with Doc Rivers, it kind of adds to those expectations. So I think it's very interesting to see what a team like Dallas does after they fired their coach. Because um, I'm looking at a, 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 like Mark Cuban, you know, you got Luka. He's 22 years old. He, he He seems to be like the guy. He is the guy um of the future and he looks like he's gonna be the guy that he's gonna be one of the guys in the faces of this league so I'm really curious to see what Dallas does um and I'm a, I'm gonna save some of that I'm gonna save some of that because I that's why I said I got a guest coming on um I got a guest coming on very soon next week's episode so you guys get ready for that because we're gonna talk about all of that so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give up too much but I think that's that's the question that I want to, cause we have a lot of, cause that, but that's the question about these coaches. How long can we consider, or how long can we label coaches as top tier coaches when their resume over the last several years, and in Doc Rivers and Rick Carlisle's, you know, case, their resumes over the last ten years have been failures, right? I mean, if you want, if you want to. Let's chop it up it's been it's been bad so how long can we continue to label these coaches as top tier coaches and plus i feel like the nba as a whole has a problem with a lot of retread coaches it just feels like there's just a lot of retread coaches within the nba so i I'm, I'm curious to see what you guys think about that but that is that is something that i think is important and key um to be looking out for like i said i think philly will force a game seven I'm not so sure who wins this series. This has been such a back and forth series, but uh, I see you guys on the other side. I'm up. <clears throat> so as I talked about those games, right? Um, those those critical those possible elimination games, right? About you know the Clippers, uh, the Nets on Saturday when you know. Um and but like I said, by the time you guys hear this, you guys would have known the result. But speaking of results, I sometimes hear NBA fans, and I just want to touch on this really quickly. I sometimes hear NBA fans just being so about the results, results, results. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Results matter. And I'm I'm about I'm about results as well, right? Um, but as I took as I always tell you guys, I'm gonna add context and nuance. I think there is a gray area, right? I think there is some, there, it's not always just black and white. I think there's gray area and, um, and and nuance to be displayed when talking about results. And I think with that, if you're adding that, I think that makes you, um, I think that develops your sports takes per se, instead of just being result oriented as we like, because that's what we are as a society we, we're just all about results 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 and we just never look at the, the stuff in between right start and finish what happened result boom okay that like the stuff in between doesn't matter in in, in some some like it doesn't matter when we're talking about, in, in sport, especially in the world of sports and we're talking about sports it just like that's other stuff just doesn't matter um for example i mean and I'm not saying we should. It it like I'm not saying results don't matter, but nuance I think does, and we don't pay attention to it. I think context does, and we don't pay attention to it. Um, like Peyton Manning, right? Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning won his second Super Bowl. He retired after that, and so forth. But we would we just say we 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 just say Peyton Manning won a second Super Bowl, right? But in that Super Bowl, I remember, I'm sure Peyton Manning remember, he was not that great. And by his accounts, he'll probably tell you, he was not that great. But he won. was all space right? Um, Tom Brady's last Super Bowl in New England. Tom Brady's last Super Bowl in New England versus the Rams. Brady wasn't great. It he wasn't. He, he, like, he, he was not great. He won, but he wasn't great. He wasn't great at all. He was not great at all. That was a slugfest, um, a defensive slugfest. So, like, when we talk about some of these NBA outcomes, like we talk about the 2019 finals, sometimes we mention that Durant got hurt in Game 5, Right? Like and 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 like I said, I don't wanna take anything away from Toronto or I don't wanna take any like but no. We gotta ask new we gotta add we I think sometimes we forget to add nuance. Um so like we don't so sometimes we bring up yeah, Durant got hurt in game five and he barely played it. That was like that was the only game he played in the series. Um, you know, sometimes sometimes we bring up, oh Clay Thompson got hurt in game six. But we instead, we, we just remember the Raptors win the championship. So I say all this to say with these elimination games, I feel like whoever, whoever wins or whoever, like if the Clippers win, like because you guys know, I think the Clippers are going to win. If the Clippers win. It's going to be just about results base. Nobody's going to actually talk about I mean, for for the for, you know. After the game, yeah, but I'm talking about years down the line, as time goes on, we're not going to talk about how Donovan Mitchell got hurt and that slowed down his lack of mobility. We're not going to talk about how Mike Conley didn't even play in this series if he doesn't decide to play tonight. Um, and if he does play tonight, I don't think it's going to be 100%. So like I think we just we just failed to add nuance like for the bucks if the Bucs win game 7 versus Brooklyn after the game yeah we will we will tell ourselves okay yeah Brooklyn had injuries but down the line we won't we will forget that and all all we will remember and all sports fans will talk about is the fact that Milwaukee beat Brooklyn in game 7 and I don't even like the way how and I don't like I just think that's too simple. That's 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 lazy. That's that's lazy in my opinion. Milwaukee beat Brook. I, I think that's lazy. Because let's peel back the layers. Obviously, Brooklyn is down. Obviously Kyrie Irving. Um and like really, let's be honest. Brooklyn really has one and a half of the big three. They got Durant and then like they kinda like they partially got Hard. I do think Harden's mobility is gonna be a little bit better. And I do think he'll play a little bit better, a little bit better um in game six than he did. I mean in game seven than he did in game six. But that's 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 the case right there, right? That's the that's the case that we have, case in point. So like I I sometimes hear I just I just sometimes hear NBA fans or fans in general of sports, when they talk about certain outcomes and results, we just talk about the result and I think it's lazy. I just think it's lazy. And me personally, I'm not I'm not huge on like lazy takes, but I just think it's lazy when we just talk about the outcomes of results and we don't like actually take the time to remember what actually happened. Like, and like I said, I don't it's not it's not to diminish or take away anything, but it's just was it's just adding and talking about the stuff that happened in between. Like the 2016 NBA finals, the 3 1 comeback from the Cavaliers. Yeah, that's great. That was a that was a remarkable comeback and a great display by LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. But people forget that Andrew Bogut got hurt, who was the Golden State Warriors rim protector, and you know he really he really impeded LeBron's way up to the basket. Um, so like I, we we like we forget like details like that that happened, right? Like, the 2019 Finals, the Warriors were injury like, – like, they were injury-bit. They were snake-bit, in like, injury-wise. The Warriors, like I said, they, they obviously didn't have the rank. Obviously, Klay Thompson got hurt in Game 6. But Kavon Looney, he, he didn't even play in Game 6. So, it's just, it's just stuff that I think we sometimes overlook and miss as uh, – um, when I think there's just stuff things in the de- details that fans miss um so I like you guys know I try to do my best with adding context and new ones and talking about the stuff in between when it comes down to the result and like I said the result is the result but I think it is important to add some in-between stuff in that gray area it's not just black and white right so yeah um that's my take on it. I just wanted to get that off. I wanted to talk about that. I thought that was just important because we're going into a weekend. I th- keep that in your minds this weekend as teams may get eliminated. Teams are going to get eliminated because like I said, game 7 for Saturday in Brooklyn, that's, you know, somebody whoever wins, the loser is going to get eliminated and they're going to go home. So, yeah. So, just let, keep that in mind. Obviously, uh first trade has happened since like the end of the regular season, the first trade, like the first time, you know, the you know, one of those big time notable names are on the move with the trades and you can just think about it. Anytime you hear a star, uh, you know, a star with a big time contract was traded and some draft picks were involved. You can just automatically assume that the thunder, Was involved, right? Like the Thunder are just piling up all of these picks and just dumping out large salaries. So that that was the case. So uh, the Boston Celtics, Danny Ainge, or not Danny Ainge anymore, Brad Stevens, Brad Stevens, the Boston Celtics new GM, he made his first move, and his first move was to trade Kimball Walker to the Oklahoma city thunder. Um, So the Boston Celtics traded away, obviously Kimba, but they traded away a 2025 second round pick in exchange. The thunder gave the Celtics um, Al Horford um, who's still in that, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty sizable deal. Uh, um, They got Moses Brown and a 2023 second round pick. So that's what the Celtics got in return. So let's be honest. The, the 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 whole hoopla about this trade is Kimber walker right and i think it's really good um that we i think it'd be helpful not gonna be really good but helpful i think it'd be helpful if i was to do somewhat of like a, a mini timeline to to add context to this situation some nuance to this situation right uh so when Kimber walker signed back in the, the off season of twenty nineteen right twenty nineteen after the 2018 season, Kimball Walker signs in 2019 to the Boston Celtics, right? Kyrie Irving left. Uh, the Celtics had, had, quite frankly, you know, going into 2018, they had some high expectations, high aspirations, you know, with their team, you know, being that they were a game away from the NBA Finals the prior year. Going into 2018, they had some big-time aspirations, they fell below that they lost in the second round so Kyrie Irving leaves and so forth right um so the Celtics went out and signed Kimball Walker to a big a, a massive deal i'm mean, quite frankly like that was probably the biggest deal in Celtics like free agents hits. like as far as acquiring free agents that was probably the biggest deal in Celtics history um so yeah they went out and signed Kimball Walker, and he was he was supposed to replace Kyrie Irving. Now, people weren't saying Kimball Walker was as good as Kyrie Irving, but people thought Kimball Walker was like a not like a notch below Kyrie Irving. That was the thought process when the Celtics signed Kimber Walker. They people, many, many people. Thought that Kimba Walker was like a he was like a notch below. So and then you 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 mentioned you you mix in with like the intangibles that you know Kyrie that some people thought Kyrie lacked some of the intangibles that Kimba had. So you, you you know people thought it would balance it out the loss. So going into the twenty twenty the 2019, 2020 season, Kimba Walker first half of the year he's playing pretty well. But then he has injuries, knee problems, injuries. It takes a toll on him. And this is where we start to see the emergence of Jason Tatum, the Jason Tatum that we know today. The Jason Tatum that it that looks like a bona fide superstar in the making. That like this is where this is started. So We fast forward to playoff time where Kimba comes back and so forth. And at this point, Kimba is the third option because, like I said, you had the emergence of Jason Tatum forming into a guy that looks like he's going to be the face of the franchise and a superstar in the making. And then also a guy in Jalen Brown whose offensive game has improved and he's taking that next step as well into the second option. So when Kimba comes back, Kimba is theoretically, essentially a third option. So there's a bit of a adjustment period. And you can just tell with the knee injury, Kimba became a depreciating asset. He de- He became a depreciating asset. So it follows on from this from you know from last year in the postseason to this year. Um, even throughout the offseason, Danny Ainge tried to move off of Kimber Walker. Kimber Walker was not too fond of that when he found out about that. And, you know, it was just a love-hate relationship with both sides and both parties. Kimber really didn't want to be in Boston no more. You could tell Boston was gonna try everything in in God's green earth is possible to try to get up under up underneath from this Kimball Walker deal. And that's what they did with this trade. This trade is a salary dump. And I, I did, I gave you guys that many timelines so I could just add some perspective in like how this, like, how did we end up here with Kimball Walker um, as far as like the Celtics, but that is what, that's what has transpired. And this was no more than a salary dump. Yeah, the Celtics have to take on Al Horford and his pretty large deal. Like it's a it's a sizable deal. Al Horford is set to make twenty seven and a half million dollars at the age of thirty four. He's set to make twenty seven. So like that's a pretty sizable contract Um, for a guy who for a guy Al Horford who quite frankly won't. Be that productive, he's more. He's going to be more of a continuity, um, in leadership type of guy. That's going to be his role with the Celtics. I mean, yeah, he 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 could he play and fit in the rotation, sure, but he's he's more there for continuity and the leadership in the tutelage. That that's his part. Moses Brown, I think, is really interesting, uh, uh, interesting asset. Um, because Moses Brown was a rookie last year, OKC. He his the second half of his year was really good, and he showed some upside. So I'm curious to see how they play Moses Brown and Robert Williams. They have they now have two athletic bigs, um, something that the Celtics lack. Still a bit undersized, but I'm I'm really curious to see what this what moves the Celtics go in you know with direction. Um, I don't think with the 16th pick in this draft they could have drafted somebody better um or somebody that fits their needs necessarily more than Moses Brown with with that 16 pick so you know it's i feel like this is this is one of those trades is a win-win and more importantly as at least for like from a Celtics perspective it's a salary dump it's a salary dump cuz you're trying to get you're trying to move off of that Kemba contract they're trying to move off that Kimba contract like the Kimba contract. It just wasn't a good one because first he he wasn't he, like he was not a Kyrie Irving replacement. Um, that's, that's what they thought he would be, but he just wasn't. And he was already a defensive liability. But then with the knee injuries, um, he became a depreciating asset. And it was just bad. It was just bad. And like I said, I, I do think there was an adjustment period where Kemba once he you know when he got hurt, Tatum and Brown emergence you know came onto the scene and when Kimba came back there was an adjustment period but in the postseason in the bubble last year you could tell Kemba wasn't the guy he like he wasn't as twitchy as he usually is because of that knee um and then this year this past season, you could just tell that, you know, he he missed the first half. Like, he missed a couple weeks, the first couple weeks of the season because of the knee injury. So it's just been a lot. I think this deal was done in good faith. But this is clear and obvious that this move for the Celtics was a clear salary salary dump, um, a, a salary dumping of uh, Kimball Walker. And, of course, with OKC and, you know, Sam Presti, They get more picks (laughs) like like, you know, I think the Thunder, they're going to have more picks over the next five years. than wins than next year, you know, like so like (laughs) I don't you know, they you know, they're just acquiring picks after picks after picks. But this was a clear salary dump um, of the Celtics. This is not a this is not a bad move at all for Brad Stevens, being that he's a first year, you know, first time GM. And this was his first move. This is not a bad move at all. Um, I am curious to see what coach the Celtics hire because I think that will give me more. I think that'll give me more and fans a little bit more perspective on where this Celtics franchise now go from. Like, I think, depending on who they hire as a coach, it'll show the direction and where they're going. Um, So, yeah. And I know you guys probably want my predictions uh, for this weekend. So for Friday night games, uh, like I told you guys, I think the Clippers are going to win. I Think the Clippers are going to win the series even without Paul, even without Kawhi Leonard. Um, I feel I'm a I'm a, I'm a roll with it. I'm to roll with the punches. It's tough. I think Utah is going to come out swinging. I think Utah. I think it's going to be a close game, but I do think the Clippers will win and they have, and they advance to the Western Conference Finals versus the Phoenix Suns. Uh, I think. I think Philadelphia is going to force a Game 7. They're going to win tonight, and they're going to force a Game 7. Uh, and I think Brooklyn wins Game 7. Those are my predictions. Those are my predictions. And like I said, I, in this episode, in this Saturday episode, I didn't want to give up too much because, like I said, I got some guests coming on uh, next week on the next couple episodes to talk about, um, you know, the NBA landscape and so forth. So I'm going I'm to save some ammunition for that. Um, I hope you guys did enjoy this uh, episode. Short, brief, I didn't want to hold you guys too long. Short and brief, give you guys something, you know, some content a little bit. Um, <clears throat> but without further ado, I'm going to let you guys go. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast, IKP. IKP. Um, like I said, enjoy your Father's Day. As I said, the top of the show um, episode. Enjoy your Father's Day. To all the fathers out there, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day weekend. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, And without further ado, uh, always remember two choices, one decision. I'm out. Peace, gone. Deuces.